You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Grace Community Church. If it's your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome. And thank you for choosing to worship with us. If you are relatively new at Grace, several things coming up that you'll want to be aware of, including next Sunday, we're going to have a discovery lunch after church. Some elders and staff will be there. We'd love for you to just to get to know us and us to get to know you a little bit better. Hang around, but we'd like for you to sign up if you, if you would. There's some cards out on the table back in the left corner of the lobby by the little Christmas tree. Look for these. It'll tell you how to sign up online. There's also a sign-up sheet for Discovery Lunch next week and also for Grace Connection class. It's going to be a weekender event starting on Saturday, January 25th. We're going to do it that morning and then the following morning, Sunday, here at church. Both of those will be here at church. That'll just give you some information about who we are, the types of things that um, we do our core values, what we believe, how we function. Elder rule is a little bit different for a lot of people who have never been. I thought this was a Baptist church. We do have a handful of folks on the second row. but uh, and, and, I mean, if you want to go Baptist, we can take another offering. If that would but uh, just kidding. Uh, I've been Baptist almost all my life. But Anyway, so we will uh, have those two opportunities for you to get to know who we are just a little bit more. It is a non-denominational church, and you'll want to know how we're connected with others, what we believe, uh, and how we function here at Grace, and opportunities for you to serve. Next week, we're going to have members joining, and we've already talked with them. How do you think God will use you here? Because when you join a church... You are making a commitment at a very high level. And our uh, presentation of the gospel to the world is something for which all of us at Grace are accountable. And so, anyway, just come to those uh, sessions and you'll get a little bit better idea. Then baptism on February 9th. I usually don't have this many uh, announcements, but it's the start of a decade. So, you know, I imagine that's part of the deal. Baptism, February 9th. We've already got two people signed up for that. Love to talk with you if you would like to follow the Lord in baptism. If you would like to tell the world, I belong to Jesus. One of the great things about baptism is Jesus saying at the same time, I belong to you. So February 9th, we're going to have a baptism. Uh, and then I wanted to just mention a couple of things I'd like for you to be praying about. As you can imagine... Uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife is Australian, and so you can imagine the fires in Australia are of great concern to us. We have people literally all up and down the East Coast, family and friends that uh, are affected by these fires. Our, our nephew, Matthew <coughs> McAlpine, had to evacuate his home uh, down in Mount Bright in Victoria. That's down in the southern parts toward Melbourne, that area, but... Again, we've got people all the way from Brisbane, which is up there around where, say, not quite Boston would be on the states, all the way down to Miami area that um, are we're concerned about. And 
been praying for rain. Please pray for rain. It's not the rainy season. The rainy season is whenever Allison and I are there, but, <laughs> which we will be this summer, but it's, that's a long time. So please be uh, praying for rain and for the Lord to just <laughs> put an end to these fires. And then I do want you to pray for Allison. And Allison just represents so many others. She's struggling with cellulitis, which is a serious thing. It was 50-50 last night as to whether we would go to the hospital. Um, flared up Friday, got antibiotics, went down yesterday, back up last night. And it's no worse this morning, but it's a serious illness. And so please pray. It's in her arm because of lymph nodes being removed 20 years ago with breast cancer surgery. So, But there are a lot of people struggling with different things, cancer, other kinds of illnesses in our body. And so please, whenever you see someone that you know, let them know you're thinking about them and praying for them. Uh, Michelle Eisenberg's grandmother uh, had a very brief, quick illness and passed away. I believe it was on Friday, Thursday or Friday. And so just a number in our congregation we need to be praying for. So, a long time of just shop. That's unusual here on Sunday mornings. And, and by the way, lots of stuff going on. Women's uh, meeting this week, youth meeting tonight with parents. Uh, lots going on, so check out the bulletin. If you didn't get one on the way in, get, get one on the way out. So, here's a question for you to get our minds going in a different direction. How do you see yourself, believer and follower of Jesus Christ? How do you see yourself? Are you a sinner saved by grace or a saint who has victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or are you somewhere in between? I'm going to imagine that most of us <clears throat> are somewhere in between. Even if we've gone through phases where we are trying to get our minds geared in one of those places or not, I am a or the other, I mean, I'm a sinner saved by grace, or no, I am a saint. Paul says one time late in his life, I am the chief of sinners. It's near the end of his life when he says that. Uh, but most of the time, believers are called saints. So what do you make of all of that? Here's a question. Do you consider yourself to be holy? No laughter. Uh, that's good. Uh, but I imagine that if someone said, I think you're a very holy person, we would laugh, right? We'd say, hey, if you only knew, I doubt anyone would check that box. And yet, God commands his people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to be holy. Jerusalem, we have a problem. Fortunately, our text today, 1 Peter 1 Verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 3, is going to explain a bit of how all of this works. The expectation and how it works. To begin this new decade, we are in a four-week series here at Grace titled, The More Things Change, The More Jesus Stays the Same. Hopefully next month we're going to be getting back into the Gospel of John at the end of this month, Jeff Kelly is going to preach for the first time here at Grace, our newest staff member. 
But for these next three weeks, we're still in this series. Last week, we thought about our identity in Christ from the first portion of 1 Peter chapter 1. It will not surprise you that today's text, the latter part of 1 Peter in the first part of chapter 2, still have much to say about our identity in Christ while telling us what our responsibility is in a world of change and suffering. Next week's message is on formation, and then we'll conclude in two weeks thinking about mission, faithfulness in life and witness. And it may not be exactly the kind of message you're used to when you're talking about, when you hear people talking about mission. There's a great deal to cover today, so we're going to get straight to the, the reading of the word, which will only be a short section of our entire text. Then we'll glean truth from the text as we work our way through it. And last, there'll be three points of application before we come to the Lord's table where we will participate in the first Lord's Supper of the decade. I'm going to get that out of my system, I promise. By the end of the day, I won't say that anymore. <clears throat> Today's text is 1 Peter 1, 13 through 2, 3, but I'm only going to read verses 13 to 16 from chapter 1. Would you please stand for the reading of Scripture? I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. <coughs> Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who, has, who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conducts. conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kind and gracious love and care for your children. Lord, this day as we consider what it means to be your child and how it is that you have called us to live and enabled us to do so, we pray that our hearts would be open and expectant. Make us more like Jesus, who indeed brought to our eyes the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God right in our midst. Make us like him, we pray. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. I was waiting for the slide to change so I could keep reading, but I... I, I I forgot that I was only going to read that first portion. Well, if you were here last week, you may recall the indicative imperative pattern that Peter and the rest of the, most of the New Testament writers uh, employ. You may not understand it, but you'll likely recall, oh yeah, I think I heard something about indicative imperative. Simply put, the New Testament writers first tell us about all that God has done for us, and then they move to how it is we're supposed to live the life that we're called to live. And along the way, we're reminded that it's because of what God has done for us that we're able to live in the ways that he expects us and wants us 
to live. In verse 13 of 1 Peter 1, we get to the first command in this letter. So far, he's just been telling us, giving us information about God and our relationship with him. But now he gives us a command. And the first command is in the middle of the first verse. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your mind on Jesus' return is essentially what he's saying. That's the primary command. And then prepare, preparing your minds and being sober-minded are participles that support that primary imperative in the verse. Prepare your minds, be sober-minded, so that you might set your hope on Jesus' return. One way to explain what Peter is saying here, although it's far from complete, is to realize the big deal, to get set in your mind the big deal that Jesus' return is. Now, if we really believe that Jesus is going to come back and that's the end of everything and he's going to judge his enemies and gather him people, his people to himself, we'll say, yeah, that's a big deal. But it's like so many other things in the Christian life. We just kind of go along saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus is coming. Come, Lord Jesus, but let me get to what I'm doing. Tweeting out my whole 30 meal. Look, I'm doing whole 30, but I ain't about to tweet it out. I'm not excited about it. I can tell you that. <laughs> so no tweeting for me on the whole 30. Verse 13 is an interesting beginning to the main idea of today's full text. All these verses that we're reading today. Um, and, and, and that is God's command for his people to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. Notice that what we're looking for, what we're anticipating is the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ or at his second advent when he returns. And you know, look, I've read this so many times. First Peter is one of my favorite books. I preached through First Peter several years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I think. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen it quite like this, that we're looking for grace that will be revealed at that time. I mean, don't we already have grace? Didn't we begin with grace? Aren't we living according to God's grace Right now, we are. But the grace on that day will encompass the fullness of His grace, from which point we will never sin again. I don't know about you, that's the thing that I'm looking forward to more than anything else. I will never again wrestle with this flesh. I will sin no more when I see Jesus face to face. We will never be as aware of the beauty of God's grace to us as when we see Jesus. This life that we live as believers, as followers of Christ, is grace from beginning to end. Interesting that God's grace and His goodness bookend our text. Verse 13, chapter 2, verse 3. It's the bookend. It begins with grace, it ends with grace. Stated as God's goodness. We are to prepare our minds for Jesus' return for action. We're to prepare our minds for action as we think about his return. 
This is not the last time I'm going to say this today, but the King James Version is the best translation here. A more literal translation of the Greek of verse 13 is, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. The later translators recognize that we are far removed from first century culture and practices, and so they've tried to help us understand exactly what he's meaning, but we lose a little bit of the punch when they translate it the way that they do. People used to walk around with these long flowing robes and they would have a belt tied around uh, their waist. And when it was time to do something strenuous or they were going to run, they would take the bottom of those robes and tuck it into the, into the belt. And so that way they were ready to get some serious work done. To what work is he calling us? What is he saying? Tuck up the robes of your mind to do? We are called to be urgent and intentional about Jesus' return. And we are to be sober-minded, not distracted. This is serious business. Why? Verse 16, because he is holy. This may be the most daunting command in all scripture. Be holy even as God is holy. Now look, we understand that we are incapable of holiness in a, in a transcendent way that God is holy. But this is not a case of Peter just getting carried away and overstating his case. This is God's word to us all over Leviticus. And now brought in to the New Testament. Think of it in context. The readers are elect exiles. They are God's people in an ungodly world. They are related to God through Jesus. He has called all believers to be holy. Both those who first heard this letter being read. And we today who are hearing it. When we urgently and intentionally refuse the sins of our past, the sins of or the sins of our imaginations, and when we represent him to a godless world, then we are in the direction of the holy lives to which he has called us. That makes sense? There ought to be something different about us. And today's Satan is enormously affected. Go back and read the screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis where he's having conversations between demons and, and, and higher demons and lesser demons about how to distract people. One of the things that uh, he says is distracted by thinking that politics are just as important as what you believe in Scripture. And then bring it to a higher level and make this his entire focus. We focus on the wrong things, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're so easily swayed. That's why Paul says, set your mind to doing the things that will cause you to anticipate Jesus' return. Here is the good news. 
All through today's text, we're reminded that we are not called to live this life in our own strength, which surely is not enough. In verse 17, we're told to call on the Lord. We're told to call on God as Father. Now, when I'm speaking to children who are to be baptized, I love to tell them, you know, I'm old enough to be your grandfather, but you and I are now brother and sister in Christ. I can see the wheels turning, but I have no idea what's going on in their, their, their minds. I would love to know. But think about this. It's like they feel like they're being elevated. We're now brother and sister in Christ, but when we obey the Father uh, because of our accountability to the Lord, we are the children. We're still children, the children that God has called us to be, obeying our Heavenly Father who is holy. How many things do you do uh, that you will not allow your children to do? Well, I'm an adult responsible. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But still, we justify things. Well, we're an adult. At least I know I'm doing the wrong thing here. And I can handle it. God says, be a child and obey your heavenly Father. We should not be careless children, though. We must recognize that our Father does not play favorites. And His standards are high. We are to conduct ourselves with fear. Now, do you think the fear expected of God's children is more reverence or dread? Once again, it's somewhere in the middle. Surely God does not want us to cower in fear before Him. But He doesn't want us to casually approach Him. Look, folks, that, that's the reason I go by Pastor Brad. is for children, students, young adults to recognize that there ought to be some respect for authority. Children, parents, I'm on this kick lately talking to parents. Teach your children to respect all adults. Now, I recognize there are a lot of adults not worth respecting, but deal with it then. Not going into thinking, you're my child. No adult's going to talk to you. That Teach them to respect. Teach them to respect authority. If we're casual in our respect of authority, then we'll likely be casual in our respect. For God, And we are called as children to have a great respect for him. Surely God doesn't want his cowering, but if this is respect that is meant here, it is a very high and healthy respect. Be, and, and here's one of the things that Peter is saying. Jesus said the same thing. Be more afraid of God than you are of his opponents who hate you because they hate Jesus even if they can't work that out in their minds. In fact, love them and ask God to be merciful to them. Never be arrogant to those who don't know Jesus. Be merciful and compassionate and ask God to save them. God is worthy of our respect and our obedience because He redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ. In the first century, slaves were often captured in war and they were brought home and 
Sometimes the people who bought those slaves would grow fond of them and would purchase their freedom. They would actually purchase their freedom with silver and gold. Well, God is saying so much more has been done for us because the consequences of offending a holy God are much more severe than being captured by the Roman army. And so the price of our redemption, Jesus' blood, cannot be calculated. How much value are silver and gold when you lie on your deathbed and the doctor can do no more for you? The blood of Christ will be revealed as the treasure it is to God's people, either at our death or at His return. And even now, we have a sliver of understanding of what it means my uncle died Friday night. I was there Friday afternoon with his wife and my three cousins. And knowing that my uncle Roy B. was going to be with Jesus in the very near future was a comfort to all of us. Because Jesus died in our place, the sting of death is removed, and all who believe the gospel will pass from death to life and live forever, whether at our own death again or at Jesus' return. Come, Lord Jesus! Verses 20 and 21 are quite interesting, and they remind us once again that this life <coughs> that seems so impossible to live, holy life, has been made possible by God, even as he has given us the faith, he's given us faith and hope. Jesus was foreknown, the same word used in verse 2, and that's quite interesting. Before the foundation of the world was laid, God's plan of redemption was set. And Jesus didn't come into this world to experience life as one of the creatures. Why did he come? For you. He came for you. For me. When did he come? At the exact right moment. Galatians 4.4 if you were here. Christmas Eve. And now we live in the last times. Do you believe these are the last days? I do. But they have been the last days for 2,000 years. Ever since Jesus' incarnation. His life, ministry, death resurrection and ascension back to heaven, we have been living in the last days and we ought to have the same eager anticipation for Jesus' return that the first believers did in that first century. So we look for his return just as eagerly as Peter did. Or do we? Verse 22 reminds us that holiness or a lack thereof is not only a matter of how we behave in this world and how we behave in private when nobody sees us, that we're, things we say, things we do, things we observe and view, but it's also revealed by how we treat one another. In fact, I, I'm guessing, I haven't done the study, but I'm guessing that the great majority of commands to Christians are about how we treat one another more than they are about personal holiness, when we think about holiness, we think about this person. 
But God's thinking about this person more often than not, the one who is giving and helping other people. Love flows naturally from conversion. Love flows naturally from conversion. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, might, strength, everything. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. We think about the law being rigid and, and it is rigid. And, and it cannot give life. It can only condemn. But it also points to love. If you keep the law perfectly, you'll be a person who loves well. Everything in the Christian life, everything is pointing toward love. And the world understands this at some level. We ought to understand it at a much higher level, not so that we can be arrogant, but so that we can actually be more humble and love people well, especially one another. Obedience to the truth signifies belief in and submission to the gospel. And was there ever a greater act of love than Jesus dying for us? In fact, the gospel is about to take center stage in verses 24 to 25. But verse 23 sets the truth, sets up the truth of these next few verses. We have been born again. A beautiful description of one who has been saved. God saved us when the imperishable seed of the living and abiding, abiding word of God took root in our hearts and began to grow. Seed, new birth, get it? That's what God intends for us to get. Grace at the beginning, grace in the middle, and more grace than we can possibly imagine at the end. In verses 24 to 25, Peter quotes from Isaiah 40, reminding us that the glories of this world are temporal, but God's word is eternal. Interesting juxtaposition. Glorious Temporary, God's word is eternal. What is so important to you that you have no time for God, his word, or his people who you were called to love? Even in verse, in Isaiah 40, God was sharing good news with his people. There's good news in there. You and Gelion and the in the Septuagint. And now at the end of verse 25, we're told that the word that took root in our hearts and gives eternal life is the gospel that was preached to us. So many times in the New Testament, when you see the word of God or the word of Christ, it's referring to the gospel. And the gospel simply is what the entire scripture is pointing to, Jesus. What we're going to observe this morning. I thought about this a lot lately, although I have a long way to go before it's fully developed. I'm hoping David Calvert and I can process it. We've already talked about it a little bit. Um, 
And, and I'm sure that I mentioned it recently. But I have long thought about the benefit of gospel readings in liturgical churches that years ago abandoned a belief in the authority of Scripture. We went to a very high church in Boston this past year, Alice and I did with Sarah. And it took me a long time to figure out that it was liberal. In fact, a lot of times, it's not what people say, it's what they don't say. A lot of folks go to churches and they say, well, I didn't hear anything I disagree with. Right. Keep going, and you may not hear anything you disagree with, but are you hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ preached? It's not what they say, it's what they don't say that determines whether or not they are giving the gospel. So I thought, you know, they. I, I love the liturgy. I love Christmas Eve. After our Christmas Eve service, Alice and I went home, happened to turn on Spectrum uh, News right around uh, 11 o'clock, and they were doing the Christmas Eve service at Duke Chapel. It was beautiful, and I love it. I love it. And the liturgy, when the people come down and they read the gospel, and they're surrounded, the ones who are reading are surrounded because the gospel is in the midst of the people. And I've often thought, you know, even if, even if the gospel is not preached, the gospel is read and people hear and believe. And then it occurred to me, I don't think I've ever, in fact, I know I have never heard anybody that was saved by hearing the gospel read and saying, oh yeah, I get it. Jesus died for me. And yet, over and over and over, I have heard people who have gone to Billy Graham crusade and hear Jesus said, you must be born again. In fact, one of the guys that is going to be joining on Sunday morning got saved at one of those crusades because the gospel was preached. And so it's not the reading of the gospel. It's the preaching of the gospel that allows that word to take root in people's hearts. Now, the preaching of the gospel is not just what's done in churches on Sunday morning. It's any time that we are sharing the gospel with the lost. It's the privilege of every believer. Romans 10, follow it. Follow the trail in Romans 10. When we share the gospel with the lost, we are preaching the gospel. But 1 Peter 1, Romans 10, Galatians 3, all those texts put a premium on, premium on the preaching of the gospel in the church. And so that's why if the elders ever lose sight of the gospel, you as the congregation stand up and say, we're not going down that road. But I can assure you, every elder here is fully committed more than anything else, to protect the integrity, the authority of Scripture in our understanding and to preach the gospel. Well, in the first three verses of the second chapter, we're told how we should live and how we can live in the manner that we are called to live. As so much of New Testament instruction in other places is, we are called here to love others by being careful not to do harm. Malice. Do you have malice towards those who disagree with your political or social 
inclinations. I mean, real deep rooted dislike. Deceitfulness is a killer of both holiness and unity. Envy? We know what that'll do to us, don't we? Slander? Really? Putting down brothers and sisters in Christ, even if you're speaking the truth? Love sees the good in others and builds rather than destroys. And then verses 2 and 3. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Once again, King James Version does the best job when it says, in desire the sincere milk of the word. It is clearly what Peter intends. Almost certainly that's what verse 2, two means. Now, it's not the milk of the immature believer, the milk of the word of immaturity that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews 5, but rather it's the nourishing word that causes us to grow in grace, which is what Peter has been saying all along, and he affirms in verse 3. And when he does so, he is alluding to Psalm 34, which, not ironically, intentionally, is a psalm, about rejoicing in suffering at the hands of others. It's a huge theme in First Peter. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, yes, we have. He is good, and we who have tasted His goodness are excited to assume and fulfill our responsibility to be holy, even as He is holy. So before we come to the table, three quick applications, beginning with live with urgent and intentional anticipation of Christ's return. If our hope is not eschatological, it is misplaced and useless. In other words, if your hope is in this world getting better or your circumstances getting better, which they well may, I don't think to see the world getting better anytime soon. But your circumstances, your private, personal circumstances may get better soon. But they may not. If that's where your hope lies, then sooner or later, this faith that you embrace and engage occasionally is not going to be enough. Do not play at this life. It is too difficult and too costly if you do not believe that Jesus will return. I'm sure you've heard people say, that person is so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. That can happen. But far more the case is people are so earthly minded that they have no heavenly perception. And really no good at, at spreading the gospel. When we lose sight of Jesus by hoping things get better here, that's why we're so disappointed when life doesn't go our way. We are to set our hope on heaven by girding up the loins of our minds and preparing for action. This is another way of saying, just like Jesus did, we are to love the Lord our God with our minds <coughs> as well as our hearts, with our whole beings, we are to love the Lord. 
<coughs> it's impossible to have your hope in heaven if your entire focus is in the here and now. All day on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram will surely turn your heart and mind away from heaven. And that was understandable when we lived in our former ignorance before we knew Jesus. But we know better now. We know better than to allow ourselves to be so distracted that we never pursue the Lord. Live with urgent and intentional anticipation of Jesus' return. Second, you were called to holiness, but you obey according to God's design and by His power. What comes first? This is very important. What comes first? God's calling us into His family or His command for us to be holy. It's an easy answer, but it's very important that we get it. As Thomas Schreiner reminds us, calling precedes holiness just as grace precedes demand. Let me say that again. Calling precedes holiness just as grace precedes demand. We can never attain the holiness of the transcendent one, but we are commanded to reflect his holiness in our lives. Do not soften the word that is in the text. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Remember, though, God has called us into the realm of the holy. This is not something we achieve. So is it God's doings or is it our obedience? Finally, the answer is yes. It was impossible for Israel to be a blessing to the nations around them without holiness. And it is impossible for us to be a blessing to the people among whom we live as exiles, elect exiles, unless holiness is a mark of our lives. Last, pursue the Lord with disciplines of grace which lead to holiness. If our life originates with the seed of the word and grace is the source of the disciples' life from beginning to end, then it would behoove us to develop a hunger for God's word because, as Peter says twice in his next letter, grace and peace be yours through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know Jesus? Surely by the Holy Spirit, but only according to the word of God. It's like the, the author of Hebrews saying, strive to enter God's rest. Don't you love that? Strive to enter the rest. Set your focus on resting in the Lord rather than in your own efforts to please Him. How do we do all of this? Through discipline. Surely there are many spiritual disciplines that help us grow in Christ, such as prayer and fellowship and partaking of the supper. This helps us to grow in Christ. I hope you understand that. We're going to do in just a few moments. Fasting, many more. But this, the focus this morning, here at the beginning of the year, conveniently, is the Word of God. But that's the, the focus of our text. Not just my focus, it's the focus of our text. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that every year 
I encourage you to read through the Bible. Let me say it this way. I want to encourage you to read through the Bible every year. What's the benefit of reading when you have little understanding of what you're reading most of the time? Well, let me explain it this way. As I may have said in the last few weeks, I've just completed reading The Lord of the Rings for the third or fourth time. I'm not sure which. My goal is to read through this series every other year, starting two years ago. You can't believe how many analogies they are that there are that, that, that help us on our walk with the Lord if you really... Uh, get into it. I couldn't wait to get through the book so that I could watch the movie. You know how that is. I wanted to see the movie. I've seen that several times as well. So this year, Allison is watching them with me. She's never, she's like, I, I, don't, I can't get all that stuff. I know. I mean, we all feel that way when we first encounter the Lord of the Rings, right? The other night, she said, wow. I'm explaining it to her as we go. She said, wow. You know all the places and all the characters in this story. This is why I married her, you understand. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know all the characters. and I don't get it all. But I get a whole lot more than four or five years ago. Even. You know why, right? Just repetition. What's true in that kind of activity is multiplied 10,000-fold in Scripture. If you commit to reading through the Bible every year, one of these years, it's going to make sense and you will have no idea why or how. Let me ask you this. Since in the last four or five years, do you know more now than you did then, five years ago? Did you understand it? Is it was it being talked about and even explained along the way? Or did some, one day it's just like, okay, I get that now. Not even sure how I understand it or what the turning point was. Time in the Word. If grace is the source of the believer's life, beginning, middle, end, and if indeed grace is multiplied to us through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you think we ought to be in the Word seeking Him? Look, reading is a great place to start, but take time to study and go deep into the Word and never get too far from the Gospels. Always be close to the Gospels where you're learning about Jesus. You're just knowing Him better. But understand this, you can understand what Jesus was saying apart from and that was all based on what had been prophesied in the Old Testament. You don't really understand the Gospels unless you understand the Old Testament. It's overwhelming. Yes, it is. But here's the good news. You've got a lifetime for the Lord to help you figure this out if you'll get in there. Now, if you, by the way, listen to, if you've got any kind of commute, download a, a one of the uh, programs that has the Bible on uh, recording of some type. I use Audible. Last year, the one-year Bible. This year, David Boucher, I believe, just the one that put me onto this British author. 
uh, whose deep voice I obviously do not have, but it's, it's nice listening. I have to speed him up considerably because he's still on Genesis 1, and I started on the first day. Whenever you read Scripture, do so with gospel glasses on. Over and over in the New Testament, Scripture points to the gospel as it does so clearly in our text. So what is the gospel? It is what will be proclaimed as we come to this table for the Lord's Supper. We, as sinful human beings, were face to face with a holy God who cannot allow sin to go unpunished. It's against his character. It's not that he is this mean... No, he's holy, he's righteous, he's other than, which is why we are to be other than the culture. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished, but loving us the way that we have read about in our text, God sent his son to live the perfect life we were incapable of living, and then to die the death that we deserved. And the death that Jesus died wasn't just it is finished and that's it. The full wrath of God that should have been directed toward us was poured out on Jesus. That's why the picture really works for me. Hide behind the cross. The wrath of God is being absorbed by Jesus on the cross. Hide behind the cross in Jesus. When you acknowledge your sin and when you ask God to forgive you for your sin and you put your trust and what Jesus did on the cross. And you will be saved. That's what we are going to remember this morning. At this table we invite all uh, believers. Those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is a meal for believers. To come forward. You'll come forward in the interior aisles. You'll go back in the center or on the outer aisles. There will be elders and deacons who will serve the communion to you, you can partake at the front, you can go back, that's what most people do, go back, sit and reflect for a moment, and partake there. So as I pray, I will ask elders, deacons, and worship team if they would to come. We will be served first, and then we will serve you. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, our hearts are full um, we could be very unsettled with the command, be holy as I am holy. But in fact, we are encouraged because we know that you have called us into the realm of the holy. And that you give us the grace to live. And though we will never be perfect in this life, we will sin till the day we die. Even so, our sin have been paid for by Jesus. And you forgive us the moment we repent. And so as we come to remember and observe and participate in, as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, the body and blood of Christ, as we remember him at this table, even so, we Take a moment to ask you to reveal sin in our hearts and confess it before we partake. 
So if you would, just take a moment. If there's sin you need to confess, God's freely forgiving. Our Father, this plan is amazing. It seems so silly to unbelievers. And so breathtakingly profound to those of us who know. And it's not that we preach the simple gospel every week. We do. We preach that here. But we go deep and deep and deep and deeper still into the gospel. Whenever we're in your word. And so Lord... Encourage our hearts this day in Christ. And as we remember this sacrifice, may our hearts be fully turned towards you. The Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of your people, and the One who makes us holy in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Briefly, I will read 1 Corinthians 11 and listen to the way it ends, this text. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is for you. He broke it. I'm sorry, he had given bread. Thanks, he he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Grace. Beginning. Middle. End. Think about it. As you come this morning. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church. Located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content. To share with others. But please do not charge for those copies. Or alter the content in any way. Without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.